Hello. And welcome to Got the To Got the Runs. No? No comment on that one? Great podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a, a fan. fan. <laughs> we have a fan. Thank you. Uh the only wait, no, that's not right. The comics podcast, <laughs> the, only, the only comics podcast, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of me and the freaking demon that's right <laughs> over my shoulder. Ever I since see I started reading this, there's been a scary guy. I see that you are uh, a Viking woman or possibly a demon sacrifice of some kind. Yes. Seems to be I, the kind of person with a demon hanging over their shoulder, for the most part, in this book. Right. There's a couple of notable exceptions. <laughs> like a like a human guy? Yeah. A regular like old a normal, guy. Yeah. He's running, uh, he's, you know, he's running the sawed-off shotgun. He's got that uh, no stock for quick aim down sight, which is an interesting play, because <laughs> firing from the hip with a shotgun, usually pretty effective. It's true. Yeah, there's a. Remember when they go to the gun range? That's yes, crazy. I do. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to get some pracky in. Sure, but like we also like never see him really do that again. And it's like, I guess the intent is like trying to ground it a little bit to be like, how can this guy fire a gun? I do think that he is trying to stay away from this being like a superhero origin story in any way or like him ever becoming like I guess he gets his his moment towards the end but I think for the fo- the most part we're supposed to be able to feel like the fear and intensity of like this guy doesn't actually like know what he's doing <laughs> and like if he right. ever found himself like face to face with someone else who had a gun and it was like, we're both about to like draw and shoot. It's like, well, yeah, he would die because he's never been in a gunfight. Yeah. Although like it does, there isn't really a moment of like, because the whole thing is like, it starts with the in media res where it's like, you want to know how I became this guy, don't you? <laughs> I bet you're wondering how we got here to me <laughs> caving, cocking this shotgun back to cave someone's <laughs> skull. in. <laughs> and the answer is just like, nothing really this is the first time i've ever done anything like this or like with this degree of like fighting ability yeah but i can just do it now i mean i guess there's an implication that his like level of skill has increased as he's gotten just like more comfortable like i do feel like a thing that they come back to several times is just like a lot of this is stuff that anyone could do. The problem is just that the first time you have to do it, you like freeze up and get killed. But like once you've done it once, like then you can do it again. Sure. And to go, I think that what you sort of mentioned earlier, I think that it is sort of like meant to be a superhero satire in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about this, but we're of course talking about the works of Ed Brubaker. We're talking about, a very strange entry <laughs> into his oeuvre. Um, he and Sean Phillips, again, back at it again with the red mask. <laughs> Good save. <laughs> it was a little shaky there, but you stuck the landing. <laughs> Man, remember the character of Daisy? Yeah, she's also in it for a time. <laughs> she sure gets discarded unceremoniously. <laughs> We're talking about kill or be killed. The... 20 issue like sneaky long running series that they did 
Yes. <laughs> End of um, sentence. For me, kill. Uh, if I <laughs> if I have to choose, uh, <laughs> you think I'd go be killed? I I you think do, I wouldn't it, really ultimately have much choice in the matter. <laughs> you think I no, might attempt kill and subsequently be killed? <laughs> <laughs> I think that barring uh, this is actually funny because not to bring up how I met your mother again, uh-huh. but uh, <laughs> this did come up in a recent episode where it was like the joke was like, don't dump my body in New Jersey or I'll haunt you forever. Mm-hmm. And then he goes like, but if I didn't dump your body in New Jersey, that would be fine. Then she goes like, yeah, I think that would be okay. I'm sure you had your reasons. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I think that barring like you are just like being attacked by a random person who, uh, as my fellow podcast co-host Griffin Porter would say, had taken leave of their senses. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you were to be attacked by that kind of person, then maybe kill would be on the menu. But I mm. feel like if you were in a situation where there was a moral quandary of kill, like if you were in this, the situation presented in the comic, sure, it's a, I think it's you would a, be killed. It's a coercion situation for sure. You yeah. would be right. Uh, yeah, you would be killed. <laughs> I prob, I guess I probably would be. It's just like too much work. <laughs> Yeah, it's part of it. Because I'm Once like, a month. could I could I identify someone? I mean, maybe it would be different if I was living in New York. But could I identify I so. someone who needs to be killed? Like maybe one time. <laughs> but then when they were like, and now you have to do it again. I would feel like, well, <laughs> maybe we should save ourselves a few weeks and you just kill me right now. <laughs> sure. Although I think that also, I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of metaphor in this book, and sure. The- the principal character will remind you of that frequently. Um, this this book weirdly sculptor adjacent. In what respect? In the respect that there is uh, a man alone, troubled twenty eight year old man, <laughs> with a sort of artistic side, but he's also grim and moody. And there's this woman in his life who is like kind of the only thing that he's holding on to. And also, he has this strange supernatural thing going on that he's keeping a secret. Uh, and there's like the and ticking like clock element to it. Yeah. There's like the police search element. There's the sense of like, it just keeps getting like bigger and bigger. And he keeps sort of being like, but there's going to be a way out. But by the time you get to the end, you're like, but there's clearly not going to be a way out. And he like, just sort of like his ultimate death, which is sort of like, of course, he always had to ultimately die. And then there's just like a little denouement with the police officer. I don't know. I thought of the sculptor several times while I was reading this. No, I think that's very ap- apropos. It's it's certainly like Ed Brubaker does the sculptor. <laughs> <laughs> it really kind of is Ed Brubaker's the sculptor. And this more than anything, because I think it is like maybe, I guess there are some parts of books that are written around this time, but that we've read. Mm-hmm. But this like feels, I think is very contemporaneous with him writing too old to die young. It is indeed very contemporaneous. And too old to die young is kind of what if you did killer be killed but removed all the narration boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and there was like no internality to the to like the point of view characters at all. I mean, just a fascinating work. Well, I do think we really do need to cover it because <laughs> it is so strange and also but also like weirdly of a piece with like the latter stage output that we're reading at the moment sure to me this is good yes i agreed <laughs> <laughs> one thing i will say is like the whole time i was like 
So why did you make this? That is a good question that I <laughs> have not really answered because like, which is funny because for this one, I got to say like the hook is immaculate. Like the elevator pitch is so like, sure. it's, it's basically right there in the title. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's almost like a, would you rather question of like killer be killed, like decide. <laughs> and then now like, here's this like Joe normal type guy. He's not like. I don't he's not like a traditional everyman, but he's a normal guy. Yeah. And it's like, let's see what happens when he is put in that situation, kill or be killed. And also there's kind of like a psychological thriller element to it where we're gonna tease sort of the whole way through how much of this is real and how much is just like in his head. And I don't usually think of Brubaker as like a first issue guy in the same way as like Vaughn we often talked about was a guy where it was like this guy knows how to put together a first issue so that people are like well, I got to see what happens next. <laughs> right. But the first issue of this one is like really good, really propulsive. I do think that that like that panel where he has, as I mentioned earlier, the shotgun like cocked back and about to cave some guy's head in and the caption box is now my life is very different. Obviously, I'm like, <laughs> if you're not into it at that point, it's like you're not going to be into it. <laughs> um I just it really hits the ground running for me. It seems so like focused. It seems so clear. But then I'm just like, so like, how did you come up with this exactly? <laughs> and it seems and like it's just why? like, well, I just had this idea about like, what if a guy had to kill or be killed? <laughs> and also like the I don't think I don't know if he ever explains. Oh, I guess. So he the essays are. Mostly, like, it seems like based on, like, revenge movies mm -hmm. and, like, the vigilante killer genre is how yeah. he describes it at one point. And so it's, like, it's a really funny collection of movies. It's, like, Death Wish is the first one and then, like, Old Boy's in there. Sure. Yeah. And see, that's that's funny because he talks about those, like, kinds of movies a lot in the, like, interviews that he does around this. But it's always, like, this isn't that kind of story. Like, it's not about this guy... It, like he's not like Liam Neeson and you know his family's been taken and now he needs to like use his very special set of skills blah 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 it's literally about like he's a normal guy who never thought that he would kill anybody and now he has to do it like once a month as like a matter of survival and then he kind of just like glides over that and then is like and it's really more about like sort of like the moral you know thought experiment of like how do you decide who to kill and like what does it say about how you see society who you choose and things like that yeah, and I think I think almost his primary because the way that he describes it at one point in interviews and in the back matter and stuff like that is like he talks a lot about seventies Spider Man. And I think that is almost like what he's going for in a way. Like that he's sort of doing he's basically, I think, doing like what if a superhero was real? It's like it's a take on which is like sort of a subgenre unto itself. Yeah. But it is sort of his take on like a kick ass or like something like that. Yeah. Both in terms of like, what is the psychology of a person who has taken on this role for themselves as like an arbiter of justice? And also like the sort of it's it's a more grounded take on I think like his draw to Spider-Man is like this person has to live a normal life and balance mm -hmm. like having relationships, like having like work and right. like a life outside of 
this thing and then also having this secret identity. Right. And that also explains why he wears the mask that Spider-Man wore to fight Bonesaw. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Um, that yeah, that makes sense to me. I did, as I was reading this, think several times of like Wanted, of of Kickass, of Incognito as well. I was like, this is Incognito, but good. Yeah, so, uh, like so. Wanted, a book I hate. <laughs> uh, Kickass, a book I'm like, whatever. My life would be no different if I had never read that. Incognito, <laughs> a book that I'm like, whatever. My life would be no different if I had never read that. This book, I'm like. Maybe Ed Brubaker's finest work. <laughs> and if you like put a gun to my head and we're like, kill someone or you'll be killed, I don't know what I'd do. But if you were like, what makes this book better than those books? I'm just like, boy, I, I, there's a, I think the psychological element of it is a huge thing where it's like, this guy feels like a real normal person, a mentally ill person for sure, but like a real normal person who so has had normal, like right? a difficult life. And so the things that he's angry about and bitter about and sad about make sense because they're they line up with like the bad things that have happened to him and to his friends and to his family. And you can like feel that when he uh, points out that we actually do live in a society. But at the <laughs> same time, he is like also just like more sympathetic and he's not like all people suck everywhere for all time. He's like, actually like, and even like there's a, there's a bit of attention that I would have been interested to see them get into a bit more where the demon kind of starts to push him to be like, everyone actually does suck and like you could kill pretty much like everyone has gotten away with something and you could kill pretty much anybody and I would be satisfied. And he has to kind of resist that and be like, that's not what I'm doing as like our part of this whole arrangement. And I think that that belief that like, sure, everyone like does things that are bad or like selfish or whatever, but that doesn't mean that they like deserve to die <laughs> is just sort of like a difference in the ethos of this book as compared to some of those other ones which just seems so like misanthropic at their core that I'm like this is tolerable and more than tolerable very good yeah I was I had a similar thought when I was reading it which is like why is this good <laughs> like why do I like this so much more than like so many other I mean like it's not not Joker, parenthetical no, twenty nineteen. It's not right down to like the <laughs> what's his like Bernie Gates or what's that guy's name? Bernie Gates. Yeah. yeah, he gets a, he, yeah. he gets the name drop. <laughs> he does get the name drop, but and because because like it's like quite it's I I wouldn't say it's nihilistic, but it is pretty nihilistic in his, terms of like like his caption boxes when he's like in a dark place, especially are pretty like. The world is completely screwed and no one can do anything to change it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it is very dark. It is like sort of, I guess you could say violent for its own sake in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, why is this good? And I don't really know. Still, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I do think it is like the way the character is painted. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like there are kind of two ways to go where it's like you make them like such a badass, like you make them the Punisher or even like you make them like Travis Bickle where it's yeah. like he is just like deluded into thinking that he is like an awesome hero or it's like actually this guy's freaking pathetic and like he's a <laughs> sniveling little worm. Yeah. And then this is like kind of splits the difference in a pretty successful way where it's like he does have moments of like this guy's kind of pathetic in yeah. some ways. Yeah. But mostly it's just like this is a guy. 
Yeah. Who sometimes is pathetic and sometimes is cool. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do also speaking of like things where I'm like, I normally hate this, but for some reason it works. Even just like continuing the whole like, is it real or is it in his head? I usually get tired of that so fast yeah. or like by the end, it's so clear that it's like one or the other that I'm like, <laughs> like, who cares? The whole time you were like, it's either one or the other. And then at the end, you were like, it was this one of the two. <laughs> or it's like, it actually doesn't freaking matter. Yeah. Whereas like, this is one where I like just genuinely go back and forth at like it provides so much fodder for you to make a case for either like it's all part of like his psychotic delusions or like he his family is cursed and he's like bearing this like ancient <laughs> you know demon demonic mandate to like kill that like never really goes away even at the end where it's like is there a demon or is the demon just this image that keeps getting passed between these like mentally ill people and like the last person's fixation on it is what like drives the next person to become so fixated on it because they're like, he was so obsessed with this. Why was he so obsessed with this? And then they become like completely obsessed with it too. Yeah. Or even just like, is the demon like outside of the actual like text of the book, like, is the demon, I mean, I guess either way, the demon is sort of, like, metaphorical of, mm -hmm. like, societal ills, in a way. Yeah. And I guess that that's true regardless, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting, and I think part of it is, like, they don't lay it on too thick, like, there is, he, he really resists, like, venoming it, where, like, <laughs> the demon is always there. Right, and Eminem is never, and, like, venom. Yeah. Killer, be killed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna send you a great Eminem gift shortly sure. next time you talk. But I, I think even like uh, you could do it right now because I'm about to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I think that even like um, the fact that they don't get too cute about it ever, where like when they reveal like, oh, he's been like he hasn't been taking his correct meds for like a long time. They're not like, can you piece it together, reader? Do you think that maybe that had something to do? He's just literally, literally like. Oh, I was off my meds, so obviously it was a delusion. And like, you know, he he like acknowledges it straight up. But then like when that starts to get undermined again, it's almost like more effective because it's not like, oh, like which set of clues is the right one? Like he changes his own mind kind of about what he believes about the demon and the nature of the demon, which makes it easier for you to like also change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like I can't. It's again, hard for me. <laughs> Hello. Uh, it's hard for me to articulate like what is it that just works better um and another i saw a like letter to ed brubaker where or a to couple people mentioned sure uh where a couple people were like this is death note uh both because there is a character named kira <laughs> true and also like a disaffected young person like is sort of like has this like death god over their shoulder yeah he's he's not that much of a like light type though no not really i, I yeah that's like light is a bit more of like a sociopath than dylan yeah is. well the whole idea of death note is that like it show it sort of like shows how obviously like the power to like be the arbiter over people's lives mm -hmm. like is impossibly corrupting and like for you to believe that you have like the right to to wield that power is like you're going to be a sociopath no matter what mm -hmm. then this like i think it 
advances like pretty compelling arguments for like its character in a way that like I think that that's sort of maybe the main thing that it's like the character you're never at the point where the character feels like like you don't want to like buy in with them yeah because they're you know or like he doesn't become the classic villain where it's like you're so freaking misguided uh and like the big thing that sticks out to me is i mean that whole issue where the cop comes to visit him is i think like a great issue Mm -hmm. of their whole like basically like philosophical discussion about it yeah and the big thing that jumps out to me is when he it's like she's like, oh, like, how do you decide who the good people and the bad people are? He's like, no, we all know who like, the good <laughs> like, people are. Like, very easily. <laughs> yeah, like there is like to and like, I feel like that doesn't really get talked about that. It's like, yes, obviously, like being a pedophile is like a bad thing. Like, yeah. It, it is, like, kind of refreshing that it's not, like, oh, he's, like, morally conflicted. It's, like, yeah, he is morally conflicted about, like, a lot of aspects of it, especially, like, mostly just about, like, is killing people the right, like, response to these things. But he's never right. conflicted about, like, did I pick the right person <laughs> or, like, is that person bad, which is which is kind of, like, refreshing, yeah, that he's never, like this person did like an obviously bad thing, but who am I to decide that that's true? But I also think that the cop softens his character a bit because while he is never like, look at this like misguided villain who, you know, we love to hate, he's also never put in like a position. It's like every time you're tempted to be like, actually the way Dylan sees the world is completely healthy and correct. You get like a scene of the cop being like, but like, that's just like not, that can't be like how the world works, even when it's like messed up to make you be like, oh, yeah, it's actually bad when people start like buying shotguns and shooting people because they think yeah. that they, they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And I think that also like <laughs> like when when she has that scene where the other cop is basically like, why are you so hung up on this guy? And she's like, because he thinks he's the good guy. And I'm like, that's a good like perspective for your antagonist who is like also trying to do the right thing to have is like the thing that bothers me about this guy isn't necessarily that he's a murderer. It's that he thinks that what he's doing is like the right way to go about things. Right. And the, and also like, I think that another point is that like introducing fallibility to both sides of the argument mm-hmm. so that it becomes like a reasonable argument because, you know, it's op- like he's operating on the basic notion that it's like, well, the system that we have clearly does not work. And Mm -hmm. like, there is no actual justice for like the people who do wrong. And I feel like it's like the overwhelming majority of people can agree with that. And so there, it does like, it presents two sort of viewpoints that each sort of have their own holes to them. And it also doesn't really, it doesn't try and present an answer as correct, which I think is like very important. Yeah. I mean, that also ultimately is also like what makes it very depressing because it's like, there is no right answer to this. Like, <laughs> well, you yeah, can't just yeah. like pick up a gun and start blasting Danny DeVito style. But also, like, it is true that our system is like impossibly corrupt and broken, yeah. and like the people who deserve it will not get their justice, yeah. most likely. And I do think it also is like well, well done to include in like the last issue that he's like, yeah, like there's this fantasy version of life where I like become the punisher basically with like a like yes. a commissioner gordon to like point me at the right targets etc cetera, etc cetera. but then he's basically just like but like 
if I like going out and shooting one person doesn't actually like change any like all that means is that next time I have to kill a different person who is like doing basically the exact same thing just like in a different place or in a different way what does it ultimately accomplish to just like go around one by one killing people who are really more like symptomatic of systemic issues rather than actually like the sources of the problems themselves and also i think the idea that it touched it touched on it in like one page but like i think that's sort of emblematic as well of like what the comic does well that there can be an idea that's sort of like packed into one page or packed into one element that we only see every few issues that kind of like comes up again and like sort of provokes you in that way but like the his whole thing that it's like in, during that fantasy sequence, he's like, oh, yeah, the demon. I forgot about it. Like, <laughs> and so it's like, I I like that idea because, like, as we said, the demon sort of being a metaphor for society's ills and, like, that sort of voice of wouldn't it be cool to, like, eliminate the people who are in, unjust. And it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, like, voice <laughs> of injustice that was, like, provoking me to do mm-hmm. these things in the first place. Well, yeah. And it's also just like a good illustration of his arc overall, where it's like, yeah, I mean, by the end, he's at a place where he was like, I would be doing this whether the demon was there or not. Like, I'm at the point where I no longer care if the demon is is real or not, or if I'm going to die if I don't kill people every month. I'm just like, not going to stop killing people. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it just, it does pulls in so many elements so well like and then it i think the main thing is just like it it doesn't really ever overplay its hand yeah. on any of these things especially like because the subject matter is so dark and like gritty like there's a huge undercurrent of like mental illness being like an important thing running through mm-hmm. and it doesn't really overplay its hand there even when he like goes into a psychiatric hospital <laughs> and is treated by the psychiatrist from space jam <laughs> Oh, no, wait, that's that's the psychiatrist that he sees before he goes into the psychiatric hospital. I want to find a picture here for you of Dr. Marsh, I think his name is, or Dr. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're very close, and I do have a picture right here already, because <laughs> speaking of Eminem, his name is Dr. Mathers. Oh, there he is. Yeah, there he is. He looks like uh, he's just about to go ask Patrick Ewing if he's been having trouble performing in any other areas. No! <laughs> I didn't say that, Muggsy. You did. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I did take a screenshot of that because his name is Dr. Mathers like Eminem. <laughs> wow, Dre finally conferred the honorary doctorate. <laughs> uh, should we summarize the plot of this uh, this bad boy? <laughs> yes, but this first need to check boy. if Dr. Dre does have an honorary doctorate Surely because he must, he right? Berkeley or someone. Like, if Berkeley Dr. School of Music has not given Dr. Dre an honorary <laughs> doctorate, they are missing out on like the easiest slam dunk PR yeah. win of all time. Exactly. Dr. Dre is finally a freaking doctor for real. <laughs> he received an honorary degree in 1995. Oh, wait. Hold on. Allegedly, he received an honorary degree in Ashina 5 from the University of Southern California in the subject of rap and hip-hop, but there are no sources to back this up, hmm. uh, including from USC. Very weird. <laughs> that's, that's very weird. Just noticing here that under his musical influence and style section of his Wikipedia article, there's a subheading for work ethic, <laughs> which <laughs> is amazing. Uh, oh... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to have to revisit this Wikipedia article later because I'm also seeing under uh, section three other ventures, 3.6, Dr. Dre started Burning Man rumors. <laughs> As I said, I'm going to have to come back to this later, but give Dr. Dre an honorary doctorate. I can't believe it hasn't already happened. I'm seeing a heavily unsourced article that in an interview, he says he got a PhD from UCLA in social anthropology, but that may be totally fake. Um, <laughs> and when I searched Dr. Dre UCLA, the only thing that ever that came up is that he made an Instagram post about his daughter getting into USC and said, no jail time, referring to like the college admission scandal. And then everyone was like, you donated millions of dollars to USC. <laughs> Uh, Which is a good bit. That is a good bit. Okay, kill or be killed. And personally, I'm freaking choosing kill. (laughs) (laughs) A stinging condemnation of graduate school. Uh (laughs) So true. Oh, also, just because I can't believe I haven't said it yet, pill or be pilled. Oh, yeah, okay, I like that. Personally, (laughs) I'm going with pill. (laughs) The last thing in the world I want is to be pilled. So true. <laughs> okay, Dylan, whose last name is Cross. probably shared at some point. <laughs> Dylan Cross. I know his roommate Mason. Call back to me having a roommate named Mason in my first year of university. Says oh, it on Alex the phone. <laughs> Cross is who I'm thinking of. Um, okay, sure. Dylan Cross is a grad student with a troubled uh, history of mental illness. His academic career was derailed uh, by a suicide attempt when he was younger and he has since returned, but is having a hard time uh, because his best friend who he's secretly in love with is dating his roommate. He is not taking his correct medications and he generally is depressed, uh, anxious and jaded. So he decides to kill himself uh, one night after hearing Kira he presumes that another good artful, we don't actually know what they were talking about. He thinks he hears Kira say that she feels sorry for him. So he jumps off the roof of his apartment building, but through a sheer stroke of luck, uh, survives after like landing on a bunch of laundry wires. He, he has like a cartoon falling sequence where it's like a falling with style Buzz Lightyear, I'll say, type uh, type avoids his death yeah he steps off and then he looks down and realizes there's no ground underneath Mm -hmm. him yep he like falls and then his hat stays for a second and then it also falls at the exact same (laughs) speed anyways he miraculously survives and then is shortly thereafter visited by a demon who tells him that since he tried to throw his own life away he now has to pay a monthly rent of one life uh, and that he has to kill bad people in order to be allowed to continue to live. And after some initial resistance to that idea, he begins killing people. You look like you want to weigh in. Yeah, just realizing these strong anti-landlord themes. <laughs> sure, it's a regular rent. <laughs> yeah, so he he does... <laughs> to be clear, you mean it's a regular capital R rent, not yeah. it's a regular rent. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's a regular capital R rent, uh, the... <laughs> beloved stage musical another work with strong anti-landlord themes jonathan larson wasn't gay (laughs) that's always (laughs) important to note anyways he does begin killing people (laughs) he does begin killing people starting with the brother of his uh childhood friend 
who he recalls disclosed uh, sexual abuse to him as a kid, and he didn't really know what to do about it, but now he does, and begins uh, begins killing people on a regular basis, which soon puts him at odds with the Russian mob after he kills one of their enforcers. Also before long, a police task force is formed to try and hunt him down, so he's kind of trying to balance his... Uh, his regular killings with also staying a step ahead of both organized crime and organized cops. He decides to... What's the freaking difference. Sorry. <laughs> he decides... I just had to say that. <laughs> he decides to hang it up for a bit after uh, accidentally killing his drug dealer who was helping him have some kind of meds, even though they weren't very effective. In uh, in a situation that was created by the Russians hunting for him, uh, and he takes a break for a little while. However, he is uh, put back into action when he realizes that the Russian mob is still searching for him and is getting very close to him and in fact is threatening his beloved Kira. So he kills again uh, and again and again and takes out the head of the Russian mob before finally deciding enough is enough. Uh, He tries to tell Kira about what he's going through, instead ends up attacking his annoying roommate Mason in a fit of hallucination slash he thinks he's attacking the demon. So he is institutionalized. Meanwhile, a copycat killer takes up for a while, so there's some question. He, He tries to confess and isn't even able to do that. But the original detective who investigated him never really let go of the case. So she comes to visit him at the psychiatric hospital that he's at, but is followed by members of the Russian mob who try to attack them. He is killed uh, defending her and his fellow uh, patients. And we see the book concluding with the detective telling Kira about what happened to him and her having her own visions of the demon, suggesting that uh, the work of the New York vigilante may perhaps yet be unfinished. And he dates Daisy as well. <laughs> and he dates, a, <laughs> he dates a person called Daisy as well for a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens more than once, even. Even. Okay, snags. You mentioned earlier this book is long. At 20 issues, it is it I is guess, weirdly long, considering. Or it's like, it's not that long, because like, uh, Fatal, or yeah, Fatal is 24 issues. Yeah. I'd say it's longer than you'd think, considering that it doesn't have like clearly defined story arcs like Fatal does. Yeah, there is one part where he's like, a new arc, and I was like, I never really got the sense that there's an arc. No, I it guess, never feels like there are individual self-contained arcs. I guess when you look at, when you do like take a step back, it's like, oh, there's the arc where he's in the mental hospital. There's like the arc with the Russian mob. Like there are kind of parts of that. If you like, I think if, if you <laughs> really if you were told what the arcs were, then that might be more clear, but it does kind of feel like it just kind of runs continuously in the same way. Not exactly like the fade out, maybe more like velvet, uh, which are similarly, sort of self-contained books but are mm-hmm. a little shorter and and i think kind of conceived of more as like being graphic novelly right i guess it is just that it's it seems so strange that he would make this and i am still like i'm just trying to figure out why yeah or it, what like his like hooked because like you know it's like Joker <laughs> and it's weird to me <laughs> that Ed Brubaker was just like, I'm going to do Joker. Yeah. Not like <laughs> it, it is it, like the movie joke or I'm going to do taxi driver. It is interesting considering how clear his kind of like draw to other 
books that we've talked about was where, you know, with Fatal, there's the whole like, you know, there's the femme fatale deconstruction that he wants to do with Velvet. I guess with a lot of them, it's like, what if this was actually like this? And that can kind of be applied to Fatal, Velvet, Incognito, and the fade out to a certain extent. Uh, which are kind of like the last several things that we've covered. And so to come to one where that's not really, I mean, I guess there's an element of it's like, what if the vigilante killer movie was a normal guy instead of a not normal guy, but it's not, it's just not structured with that same sort of like clear writer's hook, even though it has such a clear like plot hook in terms of what, you know, how you pitch it to people and what draws people in at the beginning and keeps them kind of like on the ride. Yeah. I think ultimately I think it, is this an image book? It is. It must be because I think, I think that it's twofold. I think the writer's hook is like he, the, the also it's also like the thing that doesn't work the most in this book where he keeps being like, yeah, I'm telling the story in a kind of freaking random way. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that is like a big part of the writer's hook. But I think the other writer's hook is just like in the same way as the fade out. It's like, I couldn't freaking make this man if I didn't have this crazy contract (laughs) because it is like, you know, it's the serial killer is the hero, even though like that's not really that crazy of a departure. I think the way that the book frames it and maybe the way that he thinks about it, the idea that it's like this guy is like the hero of the story mm-hmm. seems a bit transgressive to him. And in a way that it's like, you couldn't, I couldn't make this otherwise. Or like, this is something I've thought about, but yeah, couldn't do before or what didn't think it was viable. It, it is like, it's a weird idea, but it's not the kind of weird idea where it's like, I, it makes sense to me that it's like, and then it got completely stuck in my head and I just like couldn't shake it until I <laughs> wrote this book. And he doesn't ever really talk about it that way either in terms of like, like it feels like Fatal he was like obsessed with while he was writing it and like the fade out and Incognito even as well because it was percolating for so long. It doesn't seem like he had the same sort of like fascination with the subject matter. But then I don't know, maybe there's an element to it of where it's just like, can't I just be allowed to like write a good book? <laughs> Does it have to have like this clear core concept that I'm completely like fixated on? And it is sort of like the most criminally in some ways in terms of just being like, and so I decided to just like write a good story about like murder and <laughs> mayhem. Yeah. And like I get the thing and I think it's maybe a little telling. I'm just looking. I was looking in the back, uh, like at the letters pages to see if that like had any clue. And he talks about like, oh, I like I kept hearing Dylan's narration when I'd sit down with my notebook. And so that does to me sort of suggest that like the hook for him is the point of view Right. And the character study, because like he says at the end, like Dylan isn't really based on me. Like he has some major differences to me. But I think the idea of like sort of presenting like a political, not a political, like not a political treatise, but like sort of writing a book that is political or feels like it has some political relevance, Mm -hmm. maybe uh, stuck out to him as well. Yeah, I do feel like you can feel that as well, because I would say that this book is also like weirdly confident compared to some Hmm. of his other. Not that he's like 
unconfident in other stuff but like like when he has the thing with the taxi rider or the taxi driver and he's like you're gonna forget about this like taxi driver before he becomes like relevant to the story again i'm just like that's like quite a called shot (laughs) that i feel like most writers (laughs) wouldn't be like especially because like by pointing it out there's a subset of readers who's immediately like i'm gonna do everything it takes to not forget yes (laughs) this (laughs) before it comes back around and i don't know if you found like reading it in the trade whether you did forget about it i think i did the first time but i was like monthly 100 percent like people are gonna forget about the taxi driver before he becomes relevant again and it's just like funny that he would have like a called shot like that i feel like he's never done anything like that in a book before yeah, I mean, it is a little silly, like the, there's some inherent silliness to like, or I guess they do, they kind of explain it later, but the whole thing of just like, this guy really like stuck out to me. And it's like, he, he the way he talks about it, like coming back later makes it sound more like something is like going to happen mm-hmm. than it really is. But it's just like, I saw this kid and then I told people about it yeah. and that's how they found him. It's like, okay, yeah, that's kind of what I figured would happen. So there isn't really that element to it, but yeah, like, I mean, constantly, like even it's like in the third issue, he's like, I can't freaking do start in the middle again. Cause that will get too bold. Like there's a lot of like, I'm playing with the narrative framework and yeah. also like I'm playing with the, I, and he gets into it very explicitly in the last issue. Like, I'm playing with the idea of like a first person omniscient narrator and sort of like how that voice like affects a book, I guess. Mm -hmm. And like how the idea of like a character from the future talking about the past sort of affects a point of view in a book. I think those are the things that kind of stick out to him. Mm -hmm. And like, that's like, you know, like the, like the narration is what's sticking in his head versus the, the story necessarily right and i do think that the narration is like pretty essential to make the book work (laughs) and there is a lot of it yeah like even more so like he's always loved his narration but a thing that they do a lot in this book is having full page splashes which i can't remember the last time we saw a full page splash from sean phillips um because we know he loves the three three tier uh page but they'll they'll do a full page splash and have a column at one side that's like just text like the whole way down which is so much more narration than you could fit into like even probably like seven or eight panels yeah there is like it is just i i guess it does a lot of things like it and i this is true of all of his books like it establishes the voice of the character in a way that like you're not going to get just from dialogue And I think with this book specifically, where it is so important that we understand the perspective of the character Mm -hmm. and the ways in which like this sort of because it is like such an inherent moral quandary that's central to the book, that that sort of becomes like the all encompassing thing. And they're like and it's also like he could have done it. What? Oh, I just saw <laughs> something that Prue Baker said in an interview that I was like, okay, that's kind of cute and funny, which was that the idea that like he has to kill one person a month was like, get it? Like it's a monthly issue. So like right. once a month, I'm going to put out the story of how he killed the, the like the person for this month, which is like, that's like it's not, not what sus- he does. It's not what he does. And which he says, like, obviously that's not what I did <laughs> in the I end. I don't think he kills anyone in the first issue. <laughs> he does. 
Uh, or no, maybe he does. I mean, I guess we see like him killing a bunch of people in the in the first issue, but he does say basically like that's not really at all what I ended up doing. But that to me does seem like okay, that actually does have kind of like a writer's hook of being like, what if every issue was like the story of how he killed like the person that month, and well, like how do you keep it fresh? Like how do you keep it kind of like you know, propulsive, how do you keep shaking it up? And then eventually he moved kind of away from that specific idea. But yeah, that seems like kind of the challenge to put before yourself to be like, could I do that? Like, how long could I do this for basically? And that like, it's crazy and interesting because especially in issue 19, it's like, oh, you've invented like a really good premise here as well. And, like, he kind of, like, alludes to that in the last issue, being, like, it could be this, but, like, actually, no. But, like, the idea of, like, a more serialized book or TV show or whatever, where it is, like, every week someone's got to be killed. Mm -hmm. And, And also, like, I think the dynamic, to talk about that specific issue, like, the dynamic of the cop and the serial killer having to team up is really good. And I don't know, like, I mean, like, it's kind of Silence of the Lambs. There's a, there's a know. splash of Dexter in there as well, I would say. Yes, but I don't know. Has that ever been done where it's like it's almost like a reverse bodyguard situation or like a double bot where it's like, you know, they're trying to keep themselves alive, but the cop also wants to bring the killer in. Yeah. And there's that whole element. to, And it's like that is so interesting to me. And like, I mean, like that is Hitman's like a bodyguard. Sure. And he had a wife as well. Hitman, <laughs> yeah. that is. But yeah, like there's this whole thing unto itself, which I find so interesting. And then it's like, oh, that's just like one issue, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next issue is like subverting that basically and being like, there could be this whole like serialized story yeah. where I'm a killer and I like work with this cop. But actually, no. Well, bad. yeah, I do. And I think that like not <laughs> it seems crazy to say about the book as it exists. But like, I do feel like there were elements where he was like, I don't want this to ever become like whimsical or like, right. Like exciting, basic, not, not exciting, but like, I don't uh, appealing, I guess maybe is more what I'm, what I'm going like. I don't think he ever wants people to get so invested in what Dylan is doing that he turns into like a Punisher esque figure where yeah. people start to be like, what he's doing actually is good and smart. And so when he introduces those kind of like, fantastical elements of it being like Dylan what if Dylan transitioned like into a, a more kind of like explicitly heroic role what if Dylan transitioned there's a thought <laughs> <laughs> if Dylan transitioned into a more explicitly heroic role he then kind of has to be like no let's let some air out of that idea like this guy's not a superhero yeah. for yeah, for many reasons <laughs> yeah and yeah that's i think a big part of why I think that's what appealed to him is the idea of like, can I make a sympathetic character without sort of justifying his actions in that way? Yeah. When I think he walks the line very well. And I mean, it's kind of like he gives away the game a little bit when the final, the cover of the final issue, (laughs) (laughs) which is that the one where he's in the straight jacket? No, that's the one that is Spider-Man no more. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Where it's him, it's him standing <laughs> in his street clothes, and then in the background, yeah. it's the looking over the shoulder. Also, another interesting thing now that I think about it, which I think is another element of this, is like the killer never gets a name. 
which he yeah, absolutely he's would just in like, like the New York vigilante. Yeah, which he absolutely would in like ninety nine point nine percent. Yeah, like it has to be intentional yeah. for him not to do that. Yeah, I would. I would assume so. Yeah, but but I do think that that also the whole idea of like it's going to be like the kill of the month book speaks to what he wanted to kind of do with it in terms of just like getting back to that more sort of serialized storytelling. Cause in a lot of the interviews he does at the start of the series, he brings up like Kirkman stuff. Basically he brings up like the walking dead and invincible where he's like, I really liked those books where like you can tell that he knew what he, where he wanted the series to end, but it wasn't like roadmapped. Like here's exactly how we're going to get there. He kind of went for as long as he wanted to. And then when he was like basically ready, he was like, and now let's like tie it up with the ending that I've sort of always intended us to get to. And it sounds like that's kind of what he was doing as well, where he knew, yeah, he knew exactly how he wanted to end the book. And he just sort of left himself enough space to be like, we can like follow the adventures of Dylan for as long as we want. And then eventually he'll get killed. And that's like, that's the end of the story. Yeah. Which I think is also why it is like longer than you might expect because he just like, yeah, he let it go kind of like as long as he felt like he could sustain it creatively. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's a nice line to ride in a lot of ways because like, I think that the two poles can be like, I mean, I guess being shorter is almost never bad, but having the over serialization can also be a problem in and of itself Mm -hmm. or like something that makes it less enjoyable where it is just like this just kind of goes on and it doesn't really feel like it has much of a direction. Yeah. And then the shorter one can just be like, I want more of this. And so I feel like it does strike a really nice balance where it's almost helped by not being quite so focused either, because I think that's what we're talking about where it's like, it's not about one thing. And I feel like if you do the graphic novel of this, you do put the demon in there more. He is like more of a character, more of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, and I like that's, I think it would be very easy as well for that to be like the substitute for the narration, which is like, I'm just having a conversation with the demon. And that creates like the dialogue opportunity for me to express my inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like a, a good idea to resist that as well. Um, and so, like, I, I think that its ability to be about other things while also remaining pretty focused is, like, this nice middle ground that it strikes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it stood out to me that the core cast of this book is a lot smaller than some of the other books that we have talked about recently, where, again, and like the core that, cast is, like, three characters, two and a half. Yeah, yeah. And then and then there's, like, three major supporting characters. <laughs> um, yeah. And But it just did stand out to me that, like, you know, he has spent a lot of time in the ones that we've covered recently doing the, like, kind of narrative trick that he credits to Game of Thrones with, like, the perspective changes among a bigger cast. And I'm just like, this is more focused, and I think it's better for being more focused. We get one issue and, like, a smattering of other sections where Kira becomes the perspective character. But for the most part, it's like Dylan is the perspective character. He is the narrator. Even when we're not with him, we're getting his, like, take on events as they, like, unfold. And I'm just like, it's more it's more cohesive. And even though this book is eight issues longer than The Fade Out, there's nothing in here where I'm like, why is that in there? 
Whereas in the fade out, there were things that we talked about where we were like, it doesn't really cost the story anything to not have this. It's not that it's bad that it's in there, but it's just like completely, you know, sort of like vestigial to (laughs) the core plot itself. Whereas because this is always sort of Dylan's story, there's nothing in here that I'm like, you could completely remove this section and the story is not different at all. Yeah. And it's funny because in the fade out, we talked about the idea that it's like, oh, if this was longer, it would have the, what is, what is her name? Maya? What are the, yeah. Which one? Val is the one that died. Maya is the one who replaced her. Right. That Like the idea that sort of we talked about in the episode that it was like, oh, you would have like the Maya issue where it's all from Maya's right. perspective. And like, we see this and it's like, this does have the Kira issue where like, <laughs> it's all from Kira's perspective, but it's like, I like that and too. It's good. And well, and considering the ending, it's like pretty essential. Yes. yes. Like, considering the ending, certainly. Yeah. Because if you don't know anything about her own sort of like trauma and history, then it's like, wait, what? Well then if she's seeing the demon, then obviously it's just that the demon is real. <laughs> sure. But I think that also it's valuable because it's not just sort of about the story. Like it's what it's speaking, what the comic is speaking to is like so universal in a way, like the universal, like both of like sort of people's disillusionment with like society in some ways. And also just the sort of like everyone has their traumas way Mm -hmm that you can explore that and it doesn't feel like too much of a departure, even if it's like not about like, I mean that issue is really nothing other than a character study. Like it doesn't tie into anything, Mm -hmm. but then it's like, it is, I do like that it's in there as well, which is kind of the opposite of what I said last time, but (laughs) well, no, it's we, we, I think we have always gravitated towards what I, tend to think of as the hero's journey issues where it's like, and now we're going to be with like one of the side characters, um, not even side characters, just we're going to take a break from the main character and spend one issue with like one of the other major or secondary characters. And it always, it always works for me. It does usually work for me. And also I guess that in the fade out, the perspective was not as important in some ways uh, as it is in this one, because like his personal, and I guess there was heavy narration of the faded as well, but the character is so much more defined. We talked about the idea that it's like, we don't fully get what the deal is with the main character in the fade out. And so having like such a defined main character and such a defined, like his point of view matters, his thought process matters, his emotions matter to, like have perspective be such an important part of the book. I think that that means creating the differing perspective feels important as well. Um, And, and also like a very cool stylistic issue. Like the whole photo album thing is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I was about to say, you know, who else is putting in some work in (laughs) in this old series? Sean Phillips's starburst guy. <laughs> I saw it on the cover of one of the issues and I was like, hey, there's my guy getting, getting his moment in the sun, so to speak. He always the lights up the flash. room. <laughs> he is going dummy with the muzzle flash. I mean, there's starburst. a lot of muzzle flashes in this book, even compared yes, to course. 
I'm sure, I mean, the conceit of the book is that he has to kill a lot of people, but I'm sure this has the highest body count of any of his books in terms of like, sure, maybe not as much as Incognito where it's like, oh, I accidentally knocked over this building. (laughs) But in terms of like number of people that a character like specifically individually kills. Yeah, I'm sure it's up there. But yeah, Sean, Sean Phillips's Starburst is certainly getting a lot of play. Sean Phillips himself also putting in some work IMO. This is like a cool opportunity for him to showcase his range because he's got like his normal, regular, everyday art. And then every time they show one of the dad's paintings, it's like, check out this extremely cool Sean <laughs> yeah. Phillips painting. And then the covers are all these sort of like noiry, not noiry, pulpy. Uh, that's the other like incognito throwback is how like sort of pulpish these these feel to me. But yeah, like these crime yeah. novel sort of covers, which are also painted, I think, but in a very different style from the dad's art that I'm just like, it's it's nice to see him, you know, stretch out and get to work in a lot of different styles here. Yeah. And then I already mentioned the splash pages, which I do feel like also bring a lot of dynamism to the book that I have said previously. It feels like when you're just reading all of the Phillips and Brubaker like collaborations in a row, it starts to feel very uniform in terms of like the three tier thing. And there's just several things that he does in this book that I feel like deviate enough to make it feel a little bit more dynamic than it has in the past. One of which is those big splash pages. Yeah. Oh, man. I just came across something crazy when I was just looking at the panel borders. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Was it, to, was it, but... It's like where there's a full scene, but then there's panel borders around one person in the scene as almost like an inset kind of shot thing. No, I have seen that as well. That's though, but another thing you... that he does a lot that I'm like, that's a cool, just like smart trick that he does several times. I'm sending you this one, which is like, it's a four panel but yeah. one of the four panels is like also the background. Yeah, yeah, he does that several times in the book as well. Which, yeah, like the whole like playing with the margins is what I was going to say. Like the like sort of having, like you said, like inset sort of shots as well, I think is like really cool yeah. as well. Like there's one, there's a part early on when he's like bemoaning the fact that Kira is dating Mason where it's like, it's really one panel of the three of them on the couch, but then he has like panel borders just around um, Dylan, which I'm like, this is just so effective, like such a simple little trick to be like, this is how isolated and like, you know, (laughs) this, this is what, like, this is how this makes him feel. Like he's got a little like box around himself and that he is like not part of whatever they're doing together, even though they're literally sitting like a foot away from him. Yeah. Um, and then this isn't even, this is actually not a Sean Phillips thing, but there's an alternate cover for one of them for the first issue. It's like, it's the fourth printing has a David Aha cover and that's we doing a very David similar thing. I just sent to you where it's like, it has like an inset shot over Dylan's eyes that like looks really crazy. <laughs> I mean... We know that uh, our guy loves like the X, not the non X-ray, the circle around uh, the point of impact in a good fight scene. Right. right. That is very crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Look it up if you can. It's just issue one of Killer Be Killed, the David Aha uh, cover is really insane. This is the page that I was thinking of. 
which has, yeah, exactly. has it all on display, including you can see like the row above has yeah. the the panel above is forming the background for the other panels. And then, yeah, just like connecting the, the panel border to the row above to make it feel like it's its own little like panel within the thing. It's just very good. It's very smart. He is. Yeah, he's doing a lot in this book when I feel like he could have floated by just like not basically like yeah. baseline. Sean Phillips is like a very proficient and effective storyteller. Yeah. But I feel like we don't often get to see him be like kind of really, I guess, like active with his artist's voice, you might say. Yeah. Other than like, I, f- I feel like we have talked about it when it does happen because it stands out because it's like, oh, like they let Phillips off the leash. <laughs> um, right. And so to see him kind of be like off the leash for this whole book and doing things that are is different from what he normally does, it was very refreshing to me. And I think is another reason why I think of the book very like fondly and received it very well. Yeah. And also like the design of the demon is very cool. Yeah. There's some lettering things with the demon as well. There is one really weird thing that I just sent to you, which is the covers of issue, his starbursts, <laughs> but the covers of issues 11 and 12, which do have prominent starbursts, uh-huh. are like weirdly the same, but like slightly different. It's like, it's the same setup, which is like a red background and he's standing there oh, firing yeah, a that gun. Is weird. <laughs> and there's a, and like the city skyline is in the background. There's like water and it's like reflected. I wonder if these are meant to be like adjoined covers. I guess. So. Or like the idea is that like, because you see like the city is on fire. Right. In the, tw- in number 12 versus number 11, it's normal. But yeah, it's, it's just a funny thing that I noticed. It's like, why is that like that? where the two covers are almost identical in terms of their construction. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I I do wonder if these are meant to be like a composite piece where like you put them side by side right. and they form like the skyline connects in the background. Right. And it, the, it looks like the starburst almost could connect, but it doesn't. Yeah, because number 13 also has the same motif yeah like it's the same layout it's the same right like the city is progressively becoming more on fire and like yeah. there's more and fifth oh 14 does as well <laughs> uh, well <laughs> yeah that one's that one's a little different i would say <laughs> no because it's it's like the same it is, thing it is but the it's same, just like he's like right it's up. like the city is becoming increasingly like engulfed and i guess that is like part of the arc as well maybe that's like designating the arc because they do the similar thing with the mental hospital, like the image of he's wearing the mask and the straight jacket. Right. That gets reused multiple times in very at like to various degrees. So yeah, that's a that's a cool thing. Yep. That it's sort of like <laughs> to use these repeated motifs in that way. Wow, uh, a rare uh, just what is going on here uh, revisit. <laughs> Some cover <laughs> <A> time. <laughs> yeah. And then like we said, finishing with the Spider-Man riff as well yeah that, that almost, i didn't notice that that is quite cute to me <laughs> i'm shocked you didn't notice that well i was reading the traits so all the covers were at the back um so i like right. flipped through them but i wasn't like looking at them really specifically but even the whole like the whole spider-man connection like didn't really click for me until you brought it up and yeah. i was like oh yeah it really is like playing with a lot of those ideas and that's what's funny to me as well is like, I mean, talking about it being incognito, but good <laughs> is that it is like such a secret identity book as well that it's just it's just very funny. Yep. So true. But yeah, it's it's 
good, uh, a great even, I would go so far as to say, I do think that it is also kind of like a timely takedown of the Punisher like fantasy. Yeah. Especially like early on, like number four opens with that like fantasy sequence of him like killing people harassing this old woman on the subway and like yeah, the the like dark side of the superhero power fantasy, which is something that people like talk a lot, but I feel like this is a very good sort of like dig into yeah, into into the morality and like the dangers of having that kind of power fantasy and like you know and and even questioning like does it you know does shooting two guys on the subway for like robbing an old lady's purse are you doing that to help someone or are you doing that because it makes you feel strong right and i think there's an interesting thing where in the same way that it's like not being like actually this guy's freaking pathetic it's also kind of not doing the like actually this kind of violence is like kind of disgusting Mm mm-hmm like it it's acknowledgement but also like not necessarily judgmentalness about like yes like it is cool <laughs> like there's something cool about this like there is a reason that this is a fantasy beyond just like if you like this then you're like a pervert who like <laughs> wants to kill people like the acknowledgement of the reasoning behind it i guess like that's throughout the book is like the understanding and acknowledgement of reasoning. And I saw something in the Wikipedia article as well, that someone described the character as being like uncomfortably relatable. And I think that Mm, that sort of is like, it's, it's uncomfortably relatable, but not in the way that it's like, it doesn't need to like show you that it's gross because it's like you, the reader understand that it's gross. And so the depiction is sort of like the, the subtext in a way. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't have to like beat you over the head with it, which is a huge problem in comics. I think beating you over the (laughs) head with themes. I agree. Uh, provided that the book has any, Uh, (laughs) I do think what what, what comic was it? Was it his his, uh, uncanny X-Men run that I was like, (laughs) I described it as a book with themes, um, which I pretty much still stand by. Not his best work. I do think that this book really like gets what it means and it should because a brew baker has many, but to have a problematic fave where mm. it just is like, it's like you can know something is like not good or isn't like how you actually want the world to be or whatever and still enjoy it. Like you can hold that tension. It's probably better to do that than to just like, blindly be like i can't or or like blindly be like this is cool and i'm not even going to try and like think critically about it i'm not going to defend myself for liking what i like like it's it's possible to both be like this isn't great in some ways but i enjoy it and so i'm going to like still enjoy it for what it is yeah which again that's a lot that is like a lot of the feeling you get watching Too Old to Die Young as well, which is about like the the primary plot of Too Old to Die Young is like a crooked cop who's like dating a teenager, uh-huh, sure, gets like caught up with the mob and has to like become their hitman. But then is like, can you just give me the pedophiles? <laughs> like, <laughs> can you give me like the terrible people so I can kill them and like preserve some level of like you know moral justification behind right. this? And so it is a lot of like 
this terrible guy who is your hero and is played by Miles Teller. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Like hunting down pedophiles, which is like really crazy. Uh, it is. It's a, it's a one show. one for the tooldies to be sure. <laughs> it absolutely. I should I should get in touch with my tooldies and tell them to read this. <laughs> tell them we got a great a great app coming up for you to guest on, presumably. I think that that is happening. Oh, well, great. We love to see it. We love to hear it. Yeah, I don't know. We're being uncharacteristically positive about this book. What what was... nits can we pick? <laughs> I know you said like kind of the some of the quirks of the narrative or like the narration style don't really tickle your fancy. It is it's just it's very pleased with itself. It is. Is the sense I get. I think that Dylan is also very pleased with himself. If like some I agree that sometimes I was like, this is annoying, but I was like, this is annoying in the same way that like class discussions in my like undergrad English degree oh. were often very annoying. And considering that Dylan as best I can determine is like doing his masters in English lit, like Right. I I guess I'm not surprised how annoying this guy is sometimes. <laughs> sure. But I, I mean, like, I think that that's also a comment to some extent to be like, it's actually the character who's pretentious. <laughs> and that's like, that's like another level of pretentiousness to be like, I'm just really skillfully writing a, pretentious a character, character who would have a pretentious narration box like this that I'm writing. Yeah, it is. It is pleased with itself at times, for sure. And the ending, I do think like, some I saw some comment somewhere that was like, "This really proves that it's hard to write endings." For things. Like, <laughs> I I don't know. Uh, well, okay, uh, I'm I'm interested to hear about the ending because we haven't really talked about like, do we think the demon was real? What like what's our what's our read on the demon and what do you think of the ending? Because we've talked about it, what happens, but not like it is. It does feel like it was destined to be controversial. Yes. The one thing I will say about the demon, other than that he's cool. Uh-huh. He is, seems like so a good the, hang for sure. A couple things, actually. <laughs> I like I like the way that sort of like the demon responds in ways that like fit with the prism of it being like a mental illness, mm-hmm. but then also like sort of fit in the within the prism of like a malevolent like creature as well. Yeah. Like the way that the demon sort of dips in and out. And the way and, that and like he never really sort of like, like tells him anything he doesn't already know, or at least in any like verifiable way. Like he's walking down the street and the demon is going like, oh, that guy like drowns puppies or whatever. And it's like, maybe he does. But like Dylan is never going to find out whether or not that's true. So is that is it the demon like telling him like pointing out to him people he could kill? Or is it like, you know, the the fact that he's not taking his antidepressants and antipsychotics is making him look at everyone he sees and being like, this person is a piece of trash who deserves to die. Yeah. And yeah, I just think it's really, I think the lack of overplaying it is a huge part that you don't, there's never a time really for any significant amount of time where it is like, I'm hanging over your shoulder and talking to you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm like, stop talking to me. Stop talking to me. Which is like, if this was adapted into a TV show, that would be nonstop. And the that the would relationship just be... between the demon and Dylan in an adaptation, I feel like, would be cranked up to like fifteen. <laughs> Never mind yes, eleven. In the same way, in the same way, it is in Venom, which I think is like funny, um, or it, to a lesser extent, or in a different way, the way it is in Death Note, where it's like 
this is just a character who is present and has perspective and has like all these like is a character. Yeah. Whereas the demon is more just like, I'm just here for a minute and then I'm going to peace out again. Like you kind of need a certain amount of remove from him to maintain the tension about like, is this just like a manifestation of Dylan's psychosis or is this something, is this like its actual own force and like agency that is separate from Dylan and his, his, the workings of his brain. Yeah. And even though the demon is like usually malevolent, we also don't, if we got like, like, ha ha ha, don't you get it, Dylan? I'm you. Yeah. Um, Like there's, he doesn't really like taunt much. Yeah. And even like, (laughs) His, his, I think that the book benefits from him not really having like a clear, like we don't know why the demon wants Dylan to kill people or why it has to be bad people or like anything like that. All we know is like the Dylan, Dylan has to kill people once a month for the demon to not kill him. And the fact that the demon like never explains himself. Yeah. I, again, just like makes him work for me. Whereas it's like, if he spends too much time talking to Dylan, then eventually it's going to be like, why do you want me to kill these people? Why do you prefer this person over that person? Like, how do <laughs> why, why do you care who lives and who dies? Like all of that stuff. Yeah. And one thing I just thought of is like, there is also the ending where like we find out that the demon doesn't really have much power, mm-hmm. um, which I think is like also like the, it sort of hints at that in the same way that, which I think just, adds to the idea of like is this a manifestation of like his psychosis in some way like does it not actually have the control over him that he thinks he does like it never really gets to the point where he feels like he's like imminently going to die yeah there's a, there's a couple times there's like the guys who hold yeah. the gun to the back of his head before the first killing who are like you I'm serious you have to kill someone <laughs> And there's, like, the other month when he refuses to kill anyone and he gets, like, super, super sick. Yeah. But there's never, like, I'm about to die in the way of, like, the demon's about to kill me. Right. It's just, like, I'm getting sick. I need to do something. Which, again, like, is part of, like, walking the tension nicely. Like, is the demon killing him or did he just get really sick? Like, maybe he just got really sick for a little while. Like, maybe he just got mugged and hallucinated after someone pistol whipped him in the temple. (laughs) Right. But the other thing I wanted to say about the demon is that I think it benefits in an interesting way from the other Brubaker projects. Like, it benefits from the existence of Fatal because we know that he has already done these things where it's like, there is like where it's like the supernatural element within the more grounded world. Mm-hmm. I think because it's believable that he would make that story versus if he had just done criminal, then it would be a lot easier to be like, no, right. This isn't like, like this isn't what he he's does. Having, like, like he doesn't psychotic episodes. Yeah. And like, but we know that he has already done the idea of like fantasy within a grounded setting mm-hmm. and things like that. And so that makes it more believable, even as the book becomes less about that and more about just like the inner sort of workings of Dylan's mind in that way, that it strikes a balance, which I think also contributes to it being more or like more, more in question than it might otherwise be. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and then the, <laughs> and then the ending, it's 
it's a bit of a cop out. I agree with this comment, which is like you get every ending. <laughs> you right, get right. You get the Punisher ending where it's like I live and like I mean I guess we don't it's get like, the I go to jail. They do live. It's wow, true. He he really broke the mold to not include the I go to jail ending. <laughs> <laughs> but he- <laughs> his favorite trick. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and- that's another like you know speaking of like you inadvertently set up another concept for a book like the like we're in jail together me and the demon and then the demon's <laughs> like how are you gonna kill someone now that would be a good like setup for another arc as well yeah you could call it like the devil in cell block d yeah something like that but it's like you have the punish you have like the things work out and i become and i like am the vigilante for good now mm-hmm. both for good and for good yeah <laughs> you have the I die ending, which is like the obvious ending. And you also have the I pass it on to someone else. Right. The ending. legend continues. Yes. So it's like you really triple dipped. And they're all three of them are sort of like archetypal endings for this kind of right. book. Yeah, I think that I would like I, I like the ending as written. I think if this was a like 50 issue series, I would be like perfect, like flawless ending basically because it feels like to give basically the entire issue to the sort of like fantasy of like, what if this, you know, imagine if this was how it ended, wouldn't that be nice? That to me just feels like a bit more of a, like the, the ending to a longer story or a fuller story as like one of only 20 issues, it does feel like it kind of like luxuriates in that to have most of the issue kind of dedicated to that. But beyond that, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty much okay with, uh, with everything else. I do think that he pretty much like has to die (laughs) as far as like what Dylan's ultimate fate is to me. It, yeah, like I said, it just seems like the more you build it, the longer it goes on, the more ridiculous it becomes to suggest that it would end with anything other than like eventually someone shoots him before he can shoot them. Yeah. The like transference of the demon to Kira. I do think I like that as just sort of like a good, like last kind of sting to go out on. Like, I think if that wasn't included, (laughs) well, I just think if that wasn't included, it's like, well, what's, what's the ending then just him being like, anyways, death, Death is okay. It was better being alive. Like treasure every moment. <laughs> I I kind of think that the one page, I which I thought might be the last page, does kind of work as well because like I almost think that an unsatisfying ending makes more sense in a way because it it sort of lives in that area of like there it's hard. To, there's not really a right answer. There are you know both sides are equally good. <laughs> Blue Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but that it does sort of live in this moral quandary and sort of embraces the idea of this quandary that to have a bit of an unsatisfying ending. But the narration at the end here where it's like, it's like, I, I just wanted to talk about everything again. I thought it would make me feel better to tell someone, but it didn't. It just made me miss everybody. And I missed the world, too. The one I thought it was going to be before I realized how fucked it was. Man, it could have been such a great place, you know? I guess that's all I wanted to say. I think that is a really good ending. That's a pretty good ending. I like that. Especially I like with the, the like, because it does do the sort of like 
scenes it does it does the why the last man thing of like scenes of like the earth and like you know what a mm-hmm. what a wonderful world it could be etc and then has like basically kira walking through a crowd as like the last splash page that is it that yeah. is a good ending i'll concede it yeah and I like it's like i like the non-committalness whereas this just feels like it just wanted to make you be like what a twist um <laughs> in the robot chicken sense of the word like it does feel like the goal is just to make people like to go out on a bang, to make people go, whoa, rather than this sort of unsatisfying or satisfyingly unsatisfying ending. It does. I'm it does have a here. bit of a kind of like post credits feel to it where it's like, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I will concede that as well. But I also think it's kind of like tonally appropriate because to have it be like, Basically, like I hated the world and everything in it for most of my life. And then I got shot and I realized that, like, actually, the world's not so bad after all. It is like a little saccharine and a little kind of like, well, what about the the sort of outlook you've espoused this whole time? And so to then switch to Kira and have it be like, look how like awful (laughs) every like second of her existence is by virtue of being a woman in New York. And like kind of tapping back into the anger that has really been like the driving force of the book the whole time. And even like to have the demon there, like I think it it in some ways works to also advance the demon as a metaphor where it's like how much of like the things that the people do in the name of the demon is how, how much of the responsibility for that lies at the feet of the demon and how much of it is just like the demon is an excuse for people disaffected people to like decide to seize the power back yeah and uh, that's almost why i'm like then you don't need the demon because like it just feels like such a bludgeon at that point and i talked about the idea of like it never feels like a bludgeon yeah in the book and like the book is so good at not bludgeoning you like even and this is another (laughs) i am just pitching endings at this point but even if it's her look like if it's more focused on the mirror because i think that is a cool shot where it's over her shoulder mm-hmm. and she's looking at you yeah i think so that's a cool demon. idea and the demon is as well i guess <laughs> but is. it's like yes but either take the demon face away or just totally take the whole shadow away and just have it be like She's making I'm looking eye contact at you. with you. She's making eye contact with you. You are sort of like thinking about your own, like the demon who's over your shoulder being like, yeah, the world is messed up. Like someone should do something about this. Yeah, like, But like, are you going to do it in the shotgun type of way? Or is there maybe a more <laughs> constructive way to, <laughs> right. to hashtag be the change? Yeah, I, I think and- that. It, it would this is a really cool shot to go out on and it would be a shame to get rid of it i feel like the more mm. subtle version is that she's looking at one of the like one of dylan's dad's paintings that has the demon in it where it's like the demon isn't like there and, and like we don't we don't basically know that like the demon is present in the room with her in the same way that is sort of like implied <laughs> the demon in the room with us yes the demon is in the room with us right now he's not he's not such like a tangible i guess presence in the way that the last shot kind of like frames it but it's like but he's there and she's like but that's why that's why i think it would be so cool to have like the negative space it's like where we do know that like we don't need to see the demon to know that the demon is there right and also like her looking at us is like oh like 
there's the demon over my shoulder is sort of like what the perspective creates. Right. And I, yeah, I, it's just, it just feels very obvious to me, like to be like, if you told me that, that like you could have said an issue one and asked me to like pick from a lineup of like, what is the last page of this <laughs> book going to be? I'd be like that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. <laughs> um, and so that one, like, it, it just does feel like, okay. Um, and then to go back to what you were saying sort of about the idea of like his perspective is, I think that that sort of reinforces the idea of like sort of the flaws in his perspective or his perspective being too extreme or him having this skewed view is like, I guess, like, you know, we sort of talked about the idea of him being pathetic. Like that, I think more than any other page like establishes his like the ultimate patheticness of him which is like it it was ultimately a curse for you like even though you like justified it to yourself like you did still like end up being killed by this curse that you had and like that is very tragic and like even though you might think these things like that doesn't change the fact that you're dead and like you wish you were alive (laughs) and no like there's no moral justification really that can change the fact that like, if you're dead, you would probably rather be alive. Right. (laughs) And I think also like, like I said, it, it hits the, especially the, I guess that's all I wanted to say is like, we talked about the idea of the successful Mm anticlimax. I think that that is a very successful form of anticlimax. Yeah. And it does. Yeah, you're right. It does capitalize on the tragedy of it too, to be like, like, yeah, all, all I wanted to say was like, the world isn't as bad as it seems. And then you look back on like, this is what it took to like, get him to the point where he could even like articulate that thought. Like basically like, look what had to happen to him before he could even like learn to think that way sort of like drives home the tragedy both of like the world as it is and that put him in the position where you know that was what it took for him and also like i forget what i was gonna say about the other half of that thought (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just like but isn't isn't it sad that the world like not made him who he is but that like that he lived in a world where that was like a possible outcome for him and like isn't isn't it sad that like he never got the chance to like say that or think that or feel that in life? Yeah, and also the the idea of the whole book being the book is him telling us the story, right? Yeah. So it's like him it's him espousing his viewpoint. It's him basically trying to persuade us that like his viewpoint is just. And then he's like, yeah, like now the story's done. And it's like I don't really care if you think like me or not. Like I'm just sad now. <laughs> and that is like of kind of like wonderfully melancholy thing. Mm-hmm. And it, that's like, that is the end of Dylan. Uh, and then like you said, it's more of a post credit scene. That is the last narration we get from Dylan. So that is the ending in one way. And then we just get this bonus. But then I also think that like that fits in well with the idea of like her looking at you in the end, like having it become making you consider the you of it as the reader. Right. I think is pretty cool. And that like you know i think it's undercut a bit by being like there's a demon <laughs> watch out for that demon <laughs> Whoa! Uh, sorry to say that you're just talking me into liking this more because it is now fun to like the the when she addresses the audience in the last caption box that makes it feel like 
here's like the first few pages of issue one of like Killer Be Killed colon Kira or Be Kirad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is why the character is called Kira and Death Note. I know it is. Which I'm just like, that is that is a good little sting of like, you know, we could instead have the beginning question mark in <laughs> <laughs> the end. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's cool. Like, I think that especially in a book like this, like I said, like if him writing this was him sort of wanting to write something political or something that feels like it resonates with like our times, the youth of today, then why wouldn't like you kind of have this direct address and especially since the whole book has been a direct address in a way, even though he has to include the freaking text box, be like, uh, I actually hate epistolary novels. <laughs> that I, you know, the whole it being like a, an address to the reader and something that he is sort of conscious of in that way as the narrator, I think is like it. That's what makes me think it's not just like coincidence that she's looking at, at you and that it's, oh, it's you know what I yeah, mean. Definitely not. Uh, definitely not coincidence. Yeah, it puts more intent behind it for me, and that's when I'm like, "Well, you were already doing this, so like, just go all the way with it." And it, it like that is, I guess, to me, why it feels like a cop out to be like, "You see, there's a demon, and this <laughs> demon, he kind of represents how messed up." So it's like, yeah, we know what the demon is. <laughs> like, we get that there's a demon, and it, actually, I kind of have this demon inside me as well even though it's not over my shoulder being scary. And I wish it could just, like, let it be that. Yeah, I get it. Especially, also, the last thing on this mm-hmm. is, like, that part of this issue is, like, I don't really care about that demon anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I do think that that there's an element of that that is kind of, like, playing with the was he or wasn't he thing of it one last time to be sort of, like, almost kind of lull you into a firm sort of like, no, there was no demon. And like for Dylan, it doesn't really matter if there was or not. It like, it was never about the demon and like the capacity for this stuff was in him all along. And that's sort of like the real, the real issue, not the fact that he thought a demon was telling him do this or else. So then to like bring the demon back at the end is kind of one last little like, or was there really a demon? Right. And I, the other thing I did just realize is that, the again, looking at the perspective of that last page, that would make us the demon. Mm. Because, I was, because I was sort of imagining, like, if you erase the demon, like, what are you putting in its place? And I was like, oh, you could sort of, like, have the outline of the demon in, like, the reflection. And then I was like, wait, but you'd be seeing, like, the camera. <laughs> <laughs> they could do, like, one of those birthday cards and have, like, a little mirrored piece of paper right there so that you see you, the reader. <laughs> That would actually be good. <laughs> that would be honestly that would be crazy. <laughs> if the mirror was a mirror, that would be crazy. <laughs> but I was I, then I was like, okay, so what would we see in the mirror? And then I was like, oh wait, we're looking at ourselves. Like we'd see us, which is the demon. Mm-hmm. And isn't and it true that Dylan wouldn't have done any of this if not for us? That. We is like the English major. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of like that. That is maybe like a cur- the curtains were blue reading of it. But like the 
there is maybe something to that as well that it's like we are kind of like over your over their shoulders as the characters like egging them on to do these things because we think it's cool yeah good book like landing on it really good even book <laughs> even if you're gonna say like the curtains are blue like there's so much in here like it's so rich in a way that like so often like a taxi driver or like a taxi driver pastiche or something that's taking inspiration from that kind of work is just so stupid <laughs> uh not referring to any specific joker movies <laughs> that it's nice to have one where it's like this is a very rich subtext and it feels current and like all of that so it is it's a good book for sure yeah. uh, surprisingly like i loved it and uh, i don't know if you noticed but uh in this last section the curtains actually are blue because her freaking hair is dyed those are the drapes, buddy. What are drapes if not curtains? Okay. I guess that's the carpet, not the curtains. Yeah. Well, no. It's <laughs> the, the, whole, the expression is, is, does the carpet match the drapes? So yes. They but are it's, the it's drapes, not, do the, curtain, do do the, the curtains, curtains match, match the drapes? drapes? <laughs> <laughs> They're the same. Uh, <laughs> so it was optioned for a movie. I'm glad we, yes, directed by Chad Stahelski. That's Sure, that's definitely right? going to happen. That, yeah. What do you <laughs> okay. mean? He, he's going to direct it right after... John Wick 3. Uh, John Wick 4, please. Oh, um, but right I believe directs- if you look at the uh, interviews at the time, you'll see that Brubaker says, once he's done with John Wick 3, we'll know for sure whether it's happening. <laughs> right. Um, he's going to direct a film adaptation of the Sandman Slim novels. I don't uh, know what He's that going is. to direct an adaptation of the comic book Analog, which is another image comic from Jerry Duggan. Shelf. I prefer digital, personally. Um, that works on two levels. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, he is also directing Ghosts of Tsushima, the adaptation of the Sony or Sucker Punch video game about like a samurai. Sure. Who did like Infamous. Um, so all of those are definitely happening. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> A movie of this would be terrible. I have to agree. Yeah, I have to. I think any adaptation of this would be bad because of the stuff that we've talked about where they just wouldn't be able to resist having more of the demon. And having more of the demon either makes it the most like overwrought, like melodramatic thing ever, or you then have to like somehow make the demon also kind of be comic relief, which is like the this simply can't have comic relief. It's not allowed. We've talked before about how Brubaker is not a particularly funny writer and doesn't really try and have comedy ever in his books. And there's humor in this. There's yeah, kind of, I would say that he's not a funny writer and doesn't try to be a funny writer. And I think that an adaptation of this almost definitely would involve someone trying to make it more funny at points, which would ruin it. (laughs) And I, one I forgot to mention is that he's directing a Highlander movie as well. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he's he's like really collecting the infinity busy, yeah. stones of movies that are him and jordan vote roberts are competing to complete the infinity gauntlet of movies that are never going to come out freaking gundam uh, uh five eisner nomies <laughs> what just i know we've talked about this like five times on this podcast but one person being attached to direct both the metal gear solid movie and the gundam movie <laughs> is like that's gilding the lily <laughs> That is quite something. Uh, Five Eisner nominations for 
this puppy essentially uh best continuing series best writer for brew baker best cover artist for phillips best coloring for betty brightweiser and then in 2019 so the year after the series wrapped uh sean phillips was nominated for best penciler slash inker um and this was part of the oeuvre that earned him that nomination i believe no wins uh, I had the list of winners open recently. Here it is. So Saga for Best Continuing, Brian K. Vaughn for Best Writer, uh, Matt Wilson for Best Coloring, and Fiona Staples for Best Cover Artist. So another casualty of the Saga Reign of Terror, uh, which is all <laughs> that we can possibly say about that at this point. Um, good sales. Popular book. Yes, I mean, we talked in, about the fourth printing. Yeah, and and again, like, in line with what you can expect from these guys. Like, pretty outrageous sales for an indie book on the first issue, and then it settles into territory that, for again, for an indie book is pretty outstanding for a big two book would be on the low end, but more than enough to sustain uh, a series and, and indeed qualify it as extremely successful and profitable for the creators. Mm-hmm. And that's before they sell the movie rights. Yeah. Must be nice. If anyone's interested in the rights to my life, uh, shoot us an email. <laughs> I'm willing to Absolutely. negotiate. <laughs> I'm fair. I'm, I'm willing to play softball. And sorry, I'm not talking about the movie rights, just the rights to my life. <laughs> if you want to put me in a killer be killed arrangement, we can talk yeah, about the, starting the price point. The like, huh? <laughs> One other thing, which isn't really related to what you're talking about, but was just mentioned the letters is... He talked, he was like, yeah, I started researching, like, Hollywood murders for what's going to eventually be the next, like, fade-out book. Mm. Which is, like, it's it sounded like a criminal thing because he was like, it's not a true sequel. It's going to have a couple did, of characters yeah, reappear. I had heard him basically or read him say stuff like that in interviews, like, around the time that it was wrapping up, where he was like, I might do something that is, like in the world of the fade out with like a couple of overlapping characters, but like, we're not going to see like, you know, what's next for Charlie Parrish. Like that's not happening. Right. <laughs> right. You're better at remembering the character names than me. Cheers. And then, yeah, similarly with this one, someone, one interview asked him if there was going to be more killer be killed to which he said, I've learned to never say never. I really think that that would be unnecessary <laughs> as much as yeah. we have just spent like an hour and a half being like, this book is amazing. It's like, yeah, this book is amazing because it's complete. Yeah. Pretty definitive ending on this one. Um, and so like, I think that would be a mistake, but you never know. Never say never says Brew Baker. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess it's like, it's, this doesn't really track, but I was like, what's the Kira thing of this? And it's just fatal kind of. Like what, like, I think there's an interesting thing in like, how would a woman approach this like in a way that's different from a mm-hmm. man and is less like about like, I mean, also like a woman could approach this the same way a man could <laughs> by walking up to someone and shooting them with a gun. But, you know, the, I think that there's maybe something interesting to be mined there, but like, I'm good. Yeah, it, to, to me, it's one of those things where it's like, I'd rather have the like tantalizing imagined version of that than yes, the underwhelming course. real version. <laughs> I mean, when has that not been the case? That's like, they're finally making this. I'm sure I and could probably like, come up with an example, yeah. but I don't care to. <laughs> yeah, I guess Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, 
Although, again, that was one where basically until the moment it came out, everyone was like, what are they thinking? <laughs> Avatar 2. Uh, we'll see about that one. <laughs> well, by the time this comes out, Avatar 2 that's will true, have that's been... That's true. Do you think do you think there's another the there's another Billy in store for Avatar 2? Oh yeah. Interesting. Just a I think a Billy is like floor. That's it's just that is fascinating to me. I have no sense of it because like I feel like I only ever talk about with this this with people who are way too like interested in the fact that Avatar made a billion dollars the first time. Avatar made two billion dollars. Oh right, excuse me. But <laughs> Avatar made the most money. Uh oh yeah, that is once again true, right? It made it is yes, it became again, it beat an endgame with the re-release, and the release also brought it to almost three billion dollars. Like, you really cannot it's hard to <laughs> underestimate like how much money yeah. Avatar 2 will I, yeah, probably I don't, make. I just don't have a read on what the cultural appetite for more Avatar is, and the personal appetite is pretty low, so I just am like, Man, is you're this gonna crazy. be a, like a huge hit? I don't know. I just don't know. But I feel we'll, like we'll it's find be out like how wrong I am uh, <laughs> in the very near yes, future. So it will have already come out. Yeah. Um, so I think it will do well. I probably will not have seen it yet, but I predict I will think it is awesome because how could it not be? It's another Avatar movie. Um, yeah, going to be great. I'm obtaining MMA, right? <laughs> no, you say I'm obtaining. Yes, because <laughs> you said um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us two stars. Um, shout out to uh, our listener of the week. We got a very nice email. <laughs> we did. From uh, Chad Rivard over at Emerald City Comics in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, had some very kind words for us. So if you're ever, if we have any listeners in the panhandle, I don't actually know. Isn't that in California? Where, uh, oh, because no, oh, Florida, Florida is like pan- the panhandle of the... <laughs> the continent right yeah that's right anyways if you're ever in florida we can personally endorse emerald city comics right certainly for their taste in podcasts <laughs> but yeah. it sounds like no no it he chad wrote to share some memories of darwin cook which was very cool and uh and also talked about some of the other creators who are known to sort of like haunt the halls uh down there so it seems like a very cool place to to go and hang out and visit. And the next time I'm in Clearwater, Florida, <laughs> I, I hope to uh, drop in myself because I love a good comic store. Absolutely. Um, so if you would like to be a listener of the week and share some <laughs> cool stuff with us that David will read and maybe pass on to me, <laughs> got the runs podcast at gmail.com. Got the runs podcast on Twitter. Just got the runs pod on both of those. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Oh, I always, I've said this before, but I always get it mixed Let's up. Let's just get it. One, one more time for coverage. <laughs> got, got the, the runs, runs pod, pod at gmail.com. Got the runs pod on Twitter. HFLC podcast is the other uh, podcast you can listen to. High Floor Low Ceiling with Griffin Porter. Uh, if you like sports at all, our Christmas episode will be coming out or have just come out. The Nadia Nightlist uh, once again making an appearance? Uh, I, d- I don't believe it will, actually. <laughs> oh, that was the one segment that's not returning. But we there, I believe there will be the uh, giving Hanukkah gifts sure. to various sports entities. And, of course, our beloved segment, writing a Christmas sports movie, will also be on the docket. <laughs> so if that sounds appealing, 
uh, one of our best segments of all time, in my humble opinion. And so uh, if you are into sports at all, give that a listen. And just remember to differentiate pod versus podcast because I can't. Next week, uh, I think we're not a thousand percent finalized on the schedule, but next week probably you will be getting a double dip. I believe so. For the holidays. Uh, we will probably be putting out two episodes next week uh, towards uh, towards the end of the year here to finish out our Ed Brubaker series. So the various Reckless books, there are five of them. Mm-hmm. So next episode will be the first three Reckless books. And then probably that same week you will get the conclusion of the Ed Brubaker series. More importantly, Got the Runs number 69 yeah, I've, uh, I've had my eye on that one. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll probably share some, you know, year-end thoughts. We will have our sure, end like we rankings. <laughs> we will, yeah, our end-of-year thoughts. The year in review, yeah. Well, I guess we did experience New Year's 2022 as well. But there's a nice bit of, you know, synergy here because our miniseries is ending, the year is ending, etc. Couldn't have planned it better. So... <laughs> And I planned didn't. it. <laughs> I did. Oh, I did. <laughs> I, know. I was having a little fun. Uh, and then maybe we will discuss potentially what the next miniseries well, is going to be. Gonna we can announce to, that. Uh, have to announce it. It's true. Certainly. Will, an episode will have to come out. <laughs> so look forward to all of that. But until next time, to, to be, be continued. continued.